You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Finley. She's talking to us from London. Finley, thanks so much for being with me today. Hey, thanks for having me. Finley, let's talk about what's going on. I know you just completed a big project. You're in London, maybe since it is July 13th in 2021. Um, you can just tell me what's happening in London. How are things there at the moment? Is everything opening up or what's the atmosphere like? Yeah, actually, London is really beautiful. They are about to release, you know, all the restrictions on July 19th. So things are opening up. It feels like maybe a month and a half ago in New York City. And, yeah, like museums are open and it's time tickets, but they're going to have nightclubs and everything fully open and accessible on July 19th. So, you know, there's like a big debate whether people should be wearing masks and what the protocols should be. But, um, yeah, the country's committed to opening it up. And, uh, you know, I, I remember Joe Biden just saying we don't have to wear masks anymore one day, but here it's been like a slow rollout, which has also been really nice to like, you know, give people a moment to adjust. Yeah, here nobody was ready, I don't think, you know, and the language around it keeps changing. Like one museum said, you know, you can wear masks if, you know, if you're initially said, you know, we require masks, and then it was, we require masks if you haven't been vaccinated. And then it said, we we require masks, you know, but it's optional up to you. And, and whether you're vaccinated or, or what do they say, or just continue to choose to wear a mask for whatever reason you choose to wear a mask, as long as you want to choose to wear a mask, we respect <laughs> that too. <laughs> I know it's, that's the conversation here. It's like, it's very confusing, but I, I think it's also the word is on the street that there's a whole other strand coming. So everyone should just be wearing a mask, right? And it makes them feel comfortable because it's probably just good practice at this point. Yeah, that is what it seems like. And, um, and so tell me, about your project that's recently been um, completed? Yeah, so um, on Friday night, we closed the final day of the Every Woman Biennial, which was in New York City and London this year, the first time we've, you know, had a transatlantic situation. And um, we had about 279 participating artists that were women and non-binary individuals here in London in a physical salon-style exhibition in Peckham. And it was a smash. I mean, the artists were so happy. The vibe was amazing. We had a lot of events where people could come together, obviously safe and partially outdoors. We also had a massive five-gallery space with huge ceilings and skylights, which was gorgeous at the Copeland Gallery, and I didn't know we could pull it off. It was, you know, we, we d debated extensively whether it was okay to do something like this and finally aired on, you know, I think artists really need this, um, this opportunity and the camaraderie and the togetherness and to, to come together uh, in a physical location. So we just decided to pull the trigger and go for it only a couple months ago. So it was a real scramble to pull this one off, um, and I'm, I'm thrilled with it. It went off. I, I, it was amazing. The energy so was so beautiful. So tell me so more about it, the kind of work in it. It sounds like great energy. I'd love to yeah, hear more, more about that. Um, yes. It sounds so like it was received in, incredibly well. And so this is also kind of, yeah. you know, a piece of, I don't want to say social work, but this was um, 
also about presenting as queer and 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 that whole and, and a whole world for other people to see, right? Exactly. You know, it's really for everyone. It started in 2014 with 86 people. I just decided to do a one night party. <laughs> I called it the Whitney Houston Biennial. It was alongside with the Whitney Biennial just to have some fun. And uh, it grew in 2017. We were on the Whitney schedule, so we had an extra year in there. Um, 2019, it was wild. We expanded to Los Angeles. We had about 600 artists. And then this year, which was a tough year for New York, we had 300 NFTs minted and exhibited at the Super Chief NFT Gallery on 11th Street in Manhattan two weeks ago, and that was up for 10 days. And then I flew, that show opened with a huge flash mob in Washington Square Park to Whitney Houston's My Love is Your Love, which is our theme this year, and came over here for the salon style exhibition, which is really... Your theme is, say that again, your theme is Your Love is, is My Love? My, my Love is Your Love. It's a, the Whitney Houston song. We always, right. keep, we always have a nod to Whitney Houston on the show. <laughs> so we've had I'm Every Woman, Greatest Love of All, My Love is Your... You know, we, ha- we have it all. <laughs> right, that's great. Because um, it's a democratic um, open call and very egalitarian the way we... You know, we don't really select the work. We let everybody in. And so um, in that way, there really can't be a theme. One of the things that I really try to do for this show is to have a breadth of age groups and ages and intergenerational um, people in, you know, participating and also as many mediums as humanly possible. And this year we got a, we, we've had before, but having a bronze piece is always like a very beautiful addition to the show. So we had tons of, you know, we had tons of films and textile pieces. We had text. We had paintings. And, I mean, photography, installation. We had a procession. We've had we had a parade. We had a flash mob. We had we had um, literary readings. You know, we tried to we try to dance. We've tried to incorporate every possible medium that we can. And that sounds incredibly ambitious, of course, and I, w- I want to talk about a number of things here, but from the NFTs to everything you're talking about, um, how, how, where's all this energy coming from? Who's putting all this together? Well, I am the founder, but I've uh, relied heavily on my partner in this since 2014, who's Molly Caldwell. She's more behind the scenes, but she really is my right hand, and I couldn't do it without her. And then... When I was in Los Angeles in 2019 for that exhibition, a young person came over named Eddie, who was from London, a, a young art curator and ambitious 24-year-old, who really fell in love with the show, and we just got on like a house on fire. That person really wanted to bring it here, and so also came to visit me in Rome, where I live part of the year. I live in Rome six months, in New York six months, and um, visited me for a week before the lockdown, where we really hashed it out. And I'm, I'm looking to expand and give this project to other places, other cities, other unique people to carry it on and, and keep the fire going. So this is also the first time where I had you know, a whole different crew of people helping to organize it in another city. And so that was Eddie Oliver and Ruby Streak, and they knocked it out of the park. They're extremely young, very ambitious, and really fantastic people who pulled it off. I, I honestly couldn't believe how beautiful it was. 
That's fantastic. And um, I mean, I want to ask you about so many things, but I, I, I would love to hear about the NFTs, how that went. They, they, you you sure. mentioned them. You had a show that was in New York, and, and, and I want to hear yeah, about so the flash mob and everything. There's so many things to ask about, <laughs> but, uh, but how did the NFT the go? NFT. And did, did they sell, well, and what happened? Yeah, we, we had some robust sales, um, not the most expensive ones. We, we're really a platform that um, I think a lot of like $1,000 and under work will sell at the show. And, and we have really good sales in, you know, for that young kind of undiscovered category. But, but NFTs, how, how, are they, how were the NFTs sold? Was that so you know, it was on purely digital? Because I know some NFTs yes. are combined with the work itself, right? This physical component. Yeah, physical actually component. people – People were very creative with it, and um, actually, you know, what we wanted to do was inform people, and we wanted to flood that space with some unique voices. So people that might not do it on their own, but maybe as a group or with this type of, like, a, a free and open education platform that we created, you know, through Zoom conversations, honestly just hopping on the call with women who were having trouble with their crypto wallets, we walked everybody through, you know, um, deciding what Genesis piece they were going to create. We walked everyone through obtaining a crypto wallet and then minting it, the super chief NFT gallery, which I give kudos to the crew there because they did a lot of the back-end work. But all the work is now minted on um, OpenSea in a gallery, the Every Woman Biennial Gallery at the Super Chief Gallery. So what's also cool about this, which is very difficult for us to – archive 300 works of art you know we also have a really beautiful archive of what we've done um and having said that you know everybody took their own take we had sound pieces we had pieces that offered a physical object in conjunction with the nft we had some experiences connected in the smart contract um, there were all kinds of weird ideas. Um, some people wanted to burn their NFT at the end because they realized other people were doing a different thing that was much cooler than what they were doing, which is like, you know, doing much more in the smart contract, adding all these cool features. So some of that was happening. And, you know, people were really learning and bouncing off each other at the exhibition because uh, and what was cool about that exhibition was that we had artists from the age of 17 to the age of 93 years of age, and we had 33 countries represented. You know, it was beautiful in one way to have that digital art because no one had to schlep a physical object to New York City to put on the wall, and that really allowed a lot more people to apply. That's fantastic. I love that. Um so that's pretty exciting. I mean, I, I I want to ask more about all the different aspects of this, but what are your what are your feelings about um, NFTs with this experience? I mean, you've had a lot of experience, but but how does that feel? Uh, you know, sales made, people are interacting. What do you, what do you, is there a future there? Is it a hybrid thing? What do, well, what's your feeling about yeah, that? Yeah, I you know I'm per, I'm personally a painter, and I like physical objects. Um, I I love art. I've spent my you know. 25 years of my life being completely obsessed by art and creativity, creative people, consciousness, spirit science, um, you know, out there, like just doing as, you know, much, much research as I can. So I just find it's another way to win for artists. Um, you know, I think the residual aspect of it is beautiful and built in and lovely that it can always be that 10% that goes right back to the artist. Um, and I kind of look at it, 
almost like a print or like a baseball card, like a piece of ephemera from the studio, from what's happening, that maybe, you know, younger people who've lived more of a digital life that want to have, um, you know, digital assets, that's the way they collect, that's the way they think, that's the way they were raised, that's going to be their nostalgia when they're, you know, as the boomers are now. I'm future thinking, but also just using it mostly as a print. Like, I have personally a huge archive of high-res images that I can mint at my leisure and learning how to do it, feeling confident with my crypto wallet, realizing, you know, selling one and then allowing that money to flow in and see how it all works. It took a little bit of the mysteriousness out of it, and it just feels, um, yeah, like another way that artists can, you know, monetize or create value for the studio. It's still the same game as the art world, which is you still need to be an artist in that digital realm. You have to promote it. There's marketing involved. There's stories that need to be told. There's conversations that need to be had. There's collectors that you need to reach out to. You know, it is a big communication swirl around it. it. It's not magic. It's the same thing as all the physical stuff, just in the digital realm. I like that. And and, and how is this affecting your work, your, your painting? I mean, you know, honestly, going through, I think, you know, over 300 submissions because I needed to make sure that everything was... One, one, the only thing that I... I have one rule for the Everyone of Biennial is that there are no headless women. I mean, obviously, if it's an antiquity, I take that into consideration. But uh, So I'm just kind of going through and making sure that it's not something degrading or, um, you know, over the line. And so I look at every single thing personally, and, you know, what I realize is that a lot of what's happening in that world is that the Internet is the medium. So the aesthetic of that is like, let's say maybe we have like, some cartoon references that cause or maybe, you know, Keith Haring or, you know, this whole world of people that grew up on cartoons, like there's an aesthetic for that. Well, now there's a whole generation of people who grew up on the internet and there's an aesthetic for that. And it is wild. I don't totally understand it. And sometimes it scares me a little bit visually, but I'm realizing that I have to wrap my head around that. And like, that's what I'm seeing in when I see 300 works of art come at me from all these places and spaces. But there are a lot of people in, interested in the digital world who are using the Internet and that, that, that world as their aesthetic. Um, yeah, and, uh, you know, obviously it's here. It's going it, to be the wave of the future on some level. And it's wild. <laughs> like the art is wild. So that's so interesting, you know, I mean, I, 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 I could really get diverted by just this topic because you're talking about a, a kind of new aesthetic that, that isn't based in, uh, I don't know, well, it's based in a different, a different type of history, a different type of, of world. Well, it's new. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's new. Yeah, but, yeah, but isn't it new? Are... I mean, like, like so many kind of movements, it's, it's new almost without recognizing anything that came before it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, there's, there's no, you know, there's no there there. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, with, with Nicholas Borio or whatever, like all that movement, like relational aesthetics, you know, that power is pulverized, that there aren't any centers anymore. Like there's no hierarchy, there's no gatekeeper. That's what I find like horrific and completely exciting about NFTs is that, it doesn't matter. You can do whatever you want. It's completely the Wild West at the present moment, and it's literally changing every day. 
But there is an aesthetic, and as a person who's really studied art and movements of art, I can clearly see it. I don't personally love it, um, but I also don't want to discount it just because I don't understand it. Yeah, well, that's very generous of you, and and, and it makes sense. I mean, it's... um yeah, right. Like you're saying, it's the Wild West, so everything's everything's new there and, and kind of unformed. But you're saying, I mean, to me, there's two things there. There's that NFTs have perhaps a language of their own, but you're saying it, that reflects this kind of new, exactly. potentially internet language that it has. That it's not just a, a you know a medium or a carrier, but that it's that it has it's encouraging a certain type of visual language, visual imagery. You think? There, I would say that 20, 25% of what I received of 300 works of art had what I'm describing, and I would say like that the medium or the digital aesthetic, like the, the internet is, you know, everything is pulled and ripped and remixed from the internet. Mm. Um, yeah, so I don't think it's, I don't think it's the only thing in the NFT space. There's a lot of interesting work. You know, people are playing it, gaming it. Um, you know, there's tricksters. There's, you know, aesthetic. You know, you have Swoon, who's minting beautiful, you know, like her works of art that have always been and always will be, you know, primarily like printmaking and paper, and which also really translate well. Um, I think collage and um, and like physical, physically unique works, even the high-res images of those, you know, you see all of that hyper-detail in the digital work. So there's a lot of space and place for things. Um, What I learned about NFTs is that you can just take a flat image. It doesn't have to be this kind of uh, hyper-sensual, you know, design, computer-generated, like, you know, GIF, GIF or video can also just be a beautiful painting with a high-res image that um, people want to hang on their digital walls. We had a gallery with which had digital canvases, which are basically like really slick high-res televisions. And I thought, you know, and we were rotating the art every three minutes, so there were th- probably 23 channels of either projector or beautiful slick televisions on the wall, and every three minutes it would change. And, um, you know, I thought, like, I wouldn't mind having, like, a really slick digital canvas in my house and have some digital work on it. It's not the worst thing in the world. You know, a lot of people have video art like that. um, And it's really beautiful. And actually, it's pretty cost-effective. Like, you can buy pretty cool stuff for 500 bucks and less on the Internet Mm. right now. Um, Yeah, I mean, I can look at it from lots of different perspectives. I can also see how someone who is a sculptor or a painter or, you know, a visual artist absolutely hates this. <laughs> like, mm. I've, I've, I've felt lots of feelings around it. But I just ultimately wanted to help people understand it who are artists, who are creatives, who are underrepresented, who are marginalized or, you know, not the main players in the art world to get a seat at the table, to understand it, get their head around it, get their toe in the water. Because if it is going to be an exciting space, well, we need to get lots of different voices included in that space. That was sort of my... And how do you get a seat at the table, briefly? So you're, you're, you're an artist, you work in whatever medium you do, from printmaking to, to, yeah, digital collage. How do you get a... 
a seat at the table, so to speak, as you just said? Well, I think there's a there's a lot of different ways to approach it, but you know what we did was like go all in with 300 people, create a media blitz. You know, we had um, the Guardian, we had Wallpaper Magazine, we had like lots of good press. We had a publicist, so you you know maybe you ride a coattails of a group show, you get involved with someone like Super Chief Gallery, um, who's going hard with like these collections and and like um, putting themselves as like a tastemaker in the forefront of digital art and super cheap gallery, good, bad, right, wrong, whatever your feelings about that gallery are. I know the director personally, and he's always been involved with digital art. So honestly, I think this might be their best move as a gallery because they're all digital art nerds in the first place. So in a way, you have to connect yourself somehow with people who are already in that digital space. And people say you have to promote it on Twitter because Twitter is directly connected to, you know, OpenSea and Foundation and all of these, you know, galleries and auction houses who hold and host these works of art to create a buzz, to have a conversation. And, you know, there are digital collectors also. I personally you know, connected my Genesis piece to a larger project because when I really was doing the research, when I, when I was doing the research for myself on digital art and NFTs because I didn't understand it, I was really trying to get my head around, is it important? Should I be paying attention? I didn't want to be a Luddite. I didn't want to be caught out on the other side of it without understanding what was happening. So I did like an eight-week, and then this opportunity to create NFT as a gallery for the Everyone Biennial came about, and I, you know, I just went hard. I did like eight weeks of deep research on the entirety, you know, the whole history of the internet, the history of cryptocurrency, the history of Ethereum, the history of smart contracts, and now the history of NFTs to, to figure it out. And what it came, what it comes down to is like someone like Swoon, or you know, a super famous artist. Uh, let's say cause or, you know, anyone who has that brand recognition or let's say wall power is of course going to have a leg up in the digital world as well. You you have to promote it. You have to do some PR around it. They say that that world is Twitter, you know, and I'm not much of a a Twitter person. So then I found myself in a bit of a conundrum. Um, But again, I find like, you know, you still have to promote it in the same way that, and like, you know, personally write to people who might collect it and let them know that it's happening somehow. You cannot do this in a bubble. It has to be, you know, you have to use all the traditional methods that you do in the regular art world, but, you know, in the digital space. To talk and, and persuade to, and befriend and then convince exactly. people. Exactly, and it has and, to be hot. You know, you have to tell a hot story. Like, it has to catch some heat. There's got to be some fire. There's got to be a reason. There's got to be meaning. All the things, it's all the same stuff. And that's, to okay. me, at the end of the day, I'm go- I've, I've put 20 years into my art career, and so I'm going to just continue down that path, and I'm going to mint NFTs as I go. I'm not in any hurry for it, but, um, yeah, I just, it's, for me, it's like a print. I think of, like, I make a painting. You know, if it's one of my top paintings that, like, everybody's feeling, I'll make a print run, you know, sometime around the holiday season to just capitalize on a little bit extra money in that moment. You know, I'll make a run of 100 of them for $100 each and sign and number them and ship them out. And that, you know, and those have value. They're obviously not worth as much as the original gorgeous painting, but there is some value attached to them. And, 
yeah, and and life goes on. But those are physical prints. You're not talking about uh, NFTs, but saying it, it could be similar. Yeah, I mean, for me, that's what an NFT is. It's like a version of the art. I mean, unless you're a digital like artist, a, like NFT a print. Oh, you're that, that's an analogy to a print. It's the same thing as a hundred prints. Yeah, I mean, and that's coming from like a traditional visual artist who you know has a studio practice and paints murals and has exhibitions. And likes objects. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and antiques and Rome, you know? (laughs) Right. Right. Of course. (laughs) Like I like to go light candles in Santa Maria and Trastevere. It's like (laughs) my favorite things to do. I am also not a huge online person. Just, you know, I have a a presence on social media. Um, It's not great. It's not terrible. Uh, so, but it, I don't live there, you know. So, what are you looking forward to next? Um, I mean, I can we could keep talking about flash mobs and all these activities, <laughs> which are which are amazing and I, exciting. Uh, but what are you what are you looking forward now that this is all this is all just you know happened? Some rest. So, so I had a solo show at La Mama Galleria, and then that closed. And a week later, the we had the flash mob and the NFT exhibition, which was a huge amount of La Mama was work. a solo show, you said? Yeah, I had a big solo show at La Mama Galleria um, in May. And that's in the La Mama Theater in New York? Uh, it's the Galleria. It's, on, it's 47 Great Jones Street. And actually, I'm taking over um, that gallery as the visual director for 2022. So that was something that ha- a big thing that happened. Um, You're taking over that months. gallery, you said. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna curate about six shows a year, and then in between the shows, do some performances. We're gonna active. We're gonna, there's a huge beautiful picture window on Great Jones that we're gonna activate with paintings and video and sculpture. Um, and oh, that's so people. exciting! That's so exciting. So La Mama is a nonprofit space, right? Yeah, 60 years old next year, so it's kind of a big deal. Yeah, so it, so it comes from the theater. The theater it wasn't always a gallery, yeah. right? It wasn't the mama was the theater that's that's uh, avant garde theater that's been there for ages, right? Yeah. So Ellen Stewart started the theater. Luckily, I had a, a, several opportunities to hang out with her before she passed away. She was a force, <laughs> like she was a like a, a really amazing human being who I admire greatly, and um, I'm very honored to take over the space. They they've had they have several theaters. Um, and they do about, I, th- I think they do 65 theatrical presentations a year at La Mama Theater. And they've always had a gallery since the 80s attached, you know, in some which way or another, whether that was the lobby of the, the theater space, they had the old, like the new current How Happening space, um, and now it's at 47 Great Jones, which is Ellen Stewart's um, rehearsal studio from back in the day. So it has a really great history. It's a beautiful space. I don't know. I, I welcome mm. you to come when the next time you're in town. Um, and I'd love to give you a tour. It's it's a fantastic gallery. That's exciting. And it's for and, underrepresented um, artists, which is really cool. And your show is no longer in there? No, yeah, it came down. It came down just like at the end of May, the last day of May, and then... Yeah, I can't believe it. Like June third, the exhibition and the NFT exhibition launched. Wow! So this has been a, this has been a very big year for you. A solo show that was all um, paintings yeah, in that I did, show. Yeah, exactly. I did nothing for a year, and then 
it was like a thousand percent. It's been an incredible. And how did that and show so go? How, things, how do you feel about that show? Yeah. You know what was funny about that show is that it was supposed to be the Every Woman Biennial, like salon style exhibition. You know, I had to book it almost two years in advance, and we couldn't pull it off to have a physical exhibition. Uh, and the gallery, the, the theater was scattered. You know, every nobody was performing, so everybody was in different places and spaces and. It was hard to get an, an answer, so I just at the last minute put a solo show in of everything that I made during COVID, and I did zero PR for it. I mean, I did a few little things on Instagram, but like I really just enjoyed, and I said, I'll do live painting in the show. I'll be there every day. Just come and see me, one at a time, you know, and we had a little opening, and it was like just at the beginning when everything was opening from COVID, people wearing masks, people were like, is this okay? Are we allowed to be at an art show? I was like, I think so. We're supposed to have 15 people in the space at a time. Everybody was hanging out outside. And, um, you know, I didn't send a huge, you know, big mass email to everybody to come because that's like a 600-person show. So it just was like a slow trickle. And honestly, it was one of the best shows I've ever had because I, had, I didn't really have any expectations for it. I just put the work up that I had been making with no rhyme or reason. I called it Love Thy Will Be Done after my very favorite Prince song and called it a day and just enjoyed being there, painting, using the space as my studio, showing people the work, chatting with people, and it went really well. That's great to hear. Um, well, congratulations on that, on that show. I mean, on, on everything that we've been talking about, it was fascinating talking about NFTs and the whole project, um, but congratulations on your show. Uh, that's terrific, too. I I feel like we could have another talk and talk about so many more things happening soon. Uh, so, but I'd love to ask you one more question. What is it? What are you reading at the moment? Okay, this is a great question because one of the people who came to the exhibition here in London is a, a friend of a friend named Lauren John Joseph. She is a beautiful woman who just wrote a book that will be published, I think, in a, a month or two with Bloomsbury Press. It's called At Certain Points We Touch, and I begged her, and she sent to me an advanced copy, like Bloomberry Press sent me an advanced copy, and so I'm, read, I'm like pouring into this amazing novel, its first novel, debut novel of Lauren John Joseph. I mean, it, and it is really good. I'm so impressed with her. Finley, I want to thank you so much for talking to me today. It's really been a pleasure, and I wish you well on your on your future projects and painting. I just I want to say thank you so much for doing this because I love um, listening to podcasts and radio in my studio, and I've listened to so many of yours. So thanks for always like asking good questions and interviewing cool artists. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. <laughs>